0: I'm Katherine Buxton and since discovering the joy of meditation in my late 30s, I've been on a journey of self-discovery that has introduced me to some fascinating ideas. Join me as I take a deeper dive into the areas of our well-being that we just don't give enough attention to. Would our lives really be any better if we took our well-being seriously? Each week I'll be joined by a well-being specialist to unpick the value of sleep, nutrition, kindness and so much more. This is Things You Should Care About podcast in association with isborn.org. I'd just uh, like to say a uh, very warm welcome to you, Kimberly, and uh, to those of you that are listening, please grab yourself a nice warm drink and maybe some biscuits to dunk in as well. Settle yourselves down. This is Catherine Buxton uh, recording for Things You Should Care About with the org, and we are today with the lovely Kimberly Pena. Now, Kimberly, before we start chatting, I wonder whether you could remember the first time we met?
1: This is to do with Mamuse, wasn't it? It is! It <laughs> is! Have you <laughs> As soon as I saw your face, I was like, you're the amazing lady that introduced me to that incredible, incredible music. And I'll I'll tell you something that I didn't tell you at the time. Mm -hmm. When I heard it, because I was in the therapy room, just finishing a session, and I was clearing up, and I heard the music, and I thought that there was a choir in the office. I said, there are some people singing live, and then when I went to you, um, and you know what? That soundtrack, I bought both of their albums, and they have really supported me during this pandemic. That music, oh my goodness me, it was part of my hypno um situation, and it was just amazing.
0: That is such a lovely thing to hear. Yeah. <laughs> it is it's lovely, really lovely. Found
1: impact. <laughs> yeah, and it's
0: nice that you heard it via me, so that's even better. Yeah. So, Kimberly, you are a dance psychotherapist, is that right?
1: Yeah, dance movement psychotherapist. Yeah. Dance movement psychotherapist. So how did you get into A, being a psychotherapist, and B, being a dance movement psychotherapist? Well, my journey is very much starting within the dance world. I was a professional dancer touring and within musical theaters um, around the UK, but also in London's West End. Um, And because of the role that I was doing, A lot of the uh families that may come and see the show would contact our company manager if they had fallen ill between purchasing a ticket and then coming to see the show and often ask if we were able to do a meet-and-greet or we were able to actually go and visit them in the hospitals themselves and that then grew bigger into becoming involved in more um, of charity-based work so charities like Make-A-Wish Foundation and Great Ormond Street and for me, using dance in that way of going to meet people and communicating and supporting someone in a very distressing situation opened my eyes to the healing benefits of dance. And if I'm honest, throughout my dance training, I never came across dance movement psychotherapy. I was it was very much the kind of the the more entertainment based. Um, you know, the way that we stereotypically recognize dance in terms of its art form. Um, but during that little piece of work alongside the shows, I then wanted to understand more about how I could possibly work more in that arena in terms of healing and support. I knew about drama therapy, never knew about dance movement psychotherapy. So I started researching it and then I found out that it was a master's training. And and it was one of those situations where it was I had to make a decision between... The dance movement psychotherapy training, as you can imagine, because it's a psych in the field of psychotherapy, it's an intense three years master's, and the third year of that master's is placement work where you are literally in mental health settings and you're working alongside multidisciplinary settings with psychiatrists, psychologists, occupational health therapists. So it's a very intense three years. So when you make the decision about doing the training, it's not a case of, Oh, I'm just going to do and dabble on this on the side while I do my main job, you know, that kind of side hustle situation. Mm Um, but then things progress where it's just the transition needed to happen. And I think for me, I, needed to experience movement and dance more than just the aesthetic and more than just the, I am the performer, you are the audience. I was, I knew that dance was always about connection, but I really wanted that more in a, in a much more tangible way, a less of a show busy way and much more of a, um, the embodiment of what it means to be in human connection through movement and dance. So that was my journey into the training.
0: So can you identify a moment or a time when you had that feeling that, you know, that just dancing for people was just somehow not enough for you that you wanted to move it into something more meaningful?
1: I think if you were speak to any professional dancer, I think that moment is when you are dancing your heart out within an audition setting, um, amongst maybe 50 other dancers and your heart is in it, you're dancing to the music and, um, you know, wanting everything to be in that, in that in that, audition room and obviously further than that, be, get the job. And then finishing the sequence and then being cut as if whatever you had just performed was 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 meaningless, was nothing. Mm-hmm. And it was such a contrasting situation to have an embodied experience of feeling euphoria and obviously your body's sweating, your heart is pumping. If you're a lover of dance, you know, you get that thrill whatever context you're dancing. And then to be met with this very... Um, in some ways, very dehumanizing, kind of. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, that is the word, cold. Shut down of your expression, because that's what dance is, it's self-expression. But I think in the industry, you become a product, and I think there's a danger where you start moving and being in your body to serve a a productivity and 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 someone else's vision, And I think that's dangerous because you start moving away from your own authentic voice and your own subjectivity. And that is where, you know, I do a lot of work within dancers, mental health. And I think that is where sometimes um, those in the performing arts industry can become very overwhelmed and very distressed very quickly. Mm. So what is it when you
0: work with somebody, are you sort of merging together those two views, your kind of subjective view and their subjective view of whatever it is that they're going through?
1: Yes, so in the session itself, um, I think the first thing to to say is that within a dance movement psychotherapy session, the idea of dance is very, or the concept of dance is very different to uh, what we're shown um, within the media, or um, kind of what our social construction of dance is. So you're, you're saying it's not strictly, is that what you're No, saying? exactly, <laughs> yes, I want to say that very clearly. Um, <laughs> okay. it's, it's funny, I get a lot of people say, oh no, dance isn't for me, so dance movement psychotherapy is a, isn't, isn't the type of modality for me, and obviously, you know, it's up to the client to feel comfortable in the modality that they want to explore their own personal process but what I would say is the idea of dance movement psychotherapy the dance part is more about the metaphor of communication so how we're talking now Catherine in very is very much a dance you know the pausing the the the, the fluidity of it the kind of the stopping the starting and Dance in dance with psychotherapy is purely about creative self-expression. So that's, that's really what I'm supporting people to do. And it can be hugely powerful for those who find articulating their um, experiences or their um, distress or their feelings of overwhelm difficult. And so we start with nonverbal communication, the movement to begin the start of that process of discovering and understanding more about what's going on for that person. So it's not a dance class in terms of, you know, me directing movement at all. Like I'm not directing movement at all. It's totally client led. And sometimes in the session, the client and I, we don't move at all. The movement part is the breath in the room. The movement part is actually the 30 minutes of stillness where whatever that 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 thing that somebody needed to speak about was so overwhelming and so difficult it was the heaviness in the room that all that was needed in that moment is just to be held by another person in terms of the witnessing of someone's distress so and that's a dance in itself the the pause to just be in the distress together and be supported by another human being
0: that sounds really lovely now i did four and a half years of psychotherapy kimberly and um Um, I mean, it was the most challenging and the most rewarding period of my life, actually. Um, It was was fantastic, but also very difficult too. But I could not imagine my therapist and I dancing around her living room. It would would feel very, very strange. So how do you, when that first person walks, walks through the door, how do you ease them into
1: that? How do you get them to do that? So I think first and foremost, the therapeutic relationship is the cornerstone of all of this. So like I said, sometimes the movement element of our sessions don't start until maybe the fifth session or even the sixth session, because the first sessions are all about building up that trust because particularly within our Western society, there's a lot of shame associated with the body. And so the idea of them bringing the body into movement, you know, and we always hear these things like dance, like nobody's watching got a very cultural socially constructed taboo about the moving body and so that sometimes is very evident within the room so the first few sessions it's just about building up that trust but also build up some of the idea and concept of it's okay and you're safe to be in your body and I think that's the starting point it's building someone's trust in me and also building someone's safety in their own body to then begin to start moving and like I said the movement can be so subtle fingertips can be moving the breath can be moving a head can be moving you know i might even um state back to somebody you know when you when i hear you talk about xyz i notice that you hold your body in a certain posture and i just want to know are you aware of that when you do it and that can become metaphorically the dance of the session. Just understanding, oh, I do, I hold my hand when I say that person's name, or I've noticed that my breath gets quicker when I think about myself when I was 11. You know, all of those different parts. It's it's about almost being a mirror to the person in front of me to support them re-establishing a relationship with their body, and then further than that, re-establishing a relationship to their moving body.
0: It's very interesting you were saying about people's attitudes towards dance because um, a friend of mine has come back from, um, well a few years ago, not now because of COVID, but she's come back from a a tour of Africa and she was in um, uh, Kenya and in South Africa and we were talking the other day and she was saying how dance is so much a part of of, uh, Native Africans um, culture you know they dance when they're going into school they dance when they come out of school the kids you know, they dance on their way home and sing and it's it's a massive part whereas our in our culture it feels like dance is um almost like you say a little bit shameful or something that you only do after you've you know drunk quite a bit of wine or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. drunk a lot of alcohol and you feel confident enough to go go onto the dance floor in a very kind of stylized and in a very kind of fixed way why do you think that is why do you think there's that kind of cultural difference what is it about in the west or us you know that they can't relax into dance so much
1: i think it's historical i think it's so deep rooted into the patriarchal system if i'm honest um because the body has been something that has been denied um because there's a fear of what can be done if we fully embody ourselves there's been an absolutely overwhelming prioritization of the mind and the cognitions, because that's something that control and there's an element of, um, um, it's science driven. So it's much more tangible in terms of there is data and there is, um, a quantitative side of understanding. And as we know, um, our forefathers within psychology and psychotherapy were all male led, um, And the body in all of that was always something that was suppressed. I think historically also the idea of being um, expressive through our bodies was seen to be very primitive. um, And that was something that historically was something that was um, wrong and we shouldn't be in our bodies. And there was a, and you know, also in terms of race, there was a, there was an idea that to be in our bodies was to be like our brothers and sisters in our African cultures. And therefore there was this drive to be the counter to that. And, and like you said, your friend recognizing that absolutely African communities are embodied. It's the most beautiful thing to witness. They mourn through dance. They celebrate through dance. They are expressing themselves, totally in mind and body throughout their whole existence. And I think that's something that we as our Western culture, in a time we used to want to avoid, it's time that we actually learnt and understood that we need to experience that as well.
0: So what is it about dance that you find to be so healing?
1: I think dance, hmm, it's a really really big question to answer. I think when we dance and when we engage in creative movement, we are able to be our truest self because we are allowing our mind to be, um equal to our body so there's the idea of psyche and soma coming together neither of them prioritized. neither of them more powerful than the other but both equal and when we are when our mind and body are equalized and we're moving in that way that is when we become our most wholesome and that is when we become our our most true and i think anybody who's experienced dance for dance sake and i don't mean copying a choreography i mean just putting on some music in their kitchen or their bedroom and just moving because they need to move whether it be out of anger whether it be out of um, excitement whatever the emotion behind when we move we feel alive and obviously if we are feeling unwell or unhealthy feeling alive is our first step to regaining our health or or experiencing what health feels like within us
0: I can remember vividly a time when I'm, um, I was uh, dancing at a Christmas party and um, just really enjoying moving my body. Uh, and, and people kept coming up and saying, "You must be really drunk, Catherine. What have you had to drink?" And I don't drink, so I had nothing to drink at all. And really? people couldn't believe that. You me, know, they couldn't understand how I could just have fun Mm. and enjoy dancing without uh, without having some some alcohol, which is a bit sad really isn't it?
1: And I think you know you mentioned about you know I see that often um, in terms of people feeling they can only dance if they've had a drink and I think it's such a shame because dance, if, if drink is needed to have a dance there's an understanding there in some ways and it's an assumption but there's a want there, isn't there? There's a drive I want to be able to dance, but I need this drink to fit, to allow myself to. And if we just gave ourselves permission to just be and stop um, thinking about the potential judgment of others or um, allowing ourselves to just, I mean, like I said, as you know, I've had a a baby during this lockdown period and it's been a real eye opener for me in terms of the developmental stages that we all go through as evolving humans. And seeing a child just move their bodies for the sake of movement to understand themselves, but also understand the world around us that is something that is innate to all of us. Yet, as we've grown up, we've lost the capacity or the ability to find that an okay way of understanding our world. Mm. So, how amazing would it be as as adults? We just it's not about relearning a skill, it's about going back to something that we've done as babies you know using movement to understand oh this is me and then that's my environment and if we could do that as adults I think we would be more able to feel in general healthier and potentially happier in our existence yeah
0: I think that's really lovely because I mean one of the things I notice when I when I meditate or when I teach meditation is it's inviting people to be playful mm. uh, and they find that sometimes quite difficult because they're expecting some kind of Kind of linear approach to it that I'll, I'll start off here and i'll end up there and it'll all be it'll all be okay but being playful and curious and uh, looking into things in a more childlike way um, it takes people sometimes quite a bit of time to kind of understand that and i guess that's what you're inviting people to do through dance dance therapy to be playful and
1: curious yeah yeah absolutely and and i would go hearing you say that catherine i'd go one step further to add that I think during this time, during the the year of 2020 and all that has been going on and the chaos that surrounds us, it's probably been the first time that as a society, we haven't had a map. And I think we've kind of evolved in a way that we, need maps you know people need to know this goes to this and this goes and i like the structure and the structure allows me to know what i'm doing but this year has kind of opened us in or invited us into an experience where there is no map and so we've got to be okay with the not knowing and that has invited a general sense of playfulness and curiosity and creativity so in many ways i i think in terms of the impact on our mental health, I think that the arts in general, um, the art psychotherapies, whether that be dance movement psychotherapy, art psychotherapy, music psychotherapy, all of those, I think there's going to be a greater need potentially because people have had a first hand experience of the value of that playfulness, that creativity, that freedom of expression to understand themselves and, and better manage some of their difficulties. Yeah, and I think also,
0: there's been a, a, an opportunity for us to take stock isn't there take time off and take um kind of stock of what it is we really want out of life and you know what you're i'm constantly hearing through social media or newspapers and etc is that people have really valued the time just to slow down and to really stop and look and listen and taste and uh example like you being a new mum having the time to be with the ones that you really want to be so there's big questions I think we have to ask ourselves about the kind of society we want to go back to you know we yeah. go back to the way things were I don't think yeah. necessarily do I think playfulness is has been great but I think sometimes also playfulness might be slightly easier for younger people am I right than older people so do you find in your dance psychotherapy sessions you have a lot of adolescents younger people or or older people or is it it's a
1: real it's a real mixed um mixed client group i would say so in context for um listeners just to understand a little bit about my work so i am part-time nhs part-time private practice so in the nhs i work within the lifespan service for eating disorders um in berkshire and then in my private practice i see anyone who is interested in knowing more about how dance and psychotherapy therapy could support them. So within my private practice, again, my oldest client I think is, is in their forties, fifties. And then my youngest client has been, um, age 11. So it's a real kind of spectrum of ages. Um, and really I don't think that there is an age that responds better, um, to dance movement psychotherapy. I think it's very person, um, specific depending on what their needs are. Um, What I would say, interestingly, is I also um, run group, or I did before the pandemic, um, group um, dance movement psychotherapy workshops. And interestingly, I always found that the um, age bracket seemed to be more adult than the groups that were for the adolescents. And I think there's something about, um, there's a a sense of, Fear maybe um, around young people or, or parents allowing young people to come together um, to support maybe anxiety or self-harming behaviours or whatever the the, the bracket of um, topic that the workshop covers because there's this idea that or putting young people who are distressed together is a is a bad thing because they'll learn things from each other that are maladaptive and but actually what I found is that. Allowing young people to come together in their distress can be hugely, hugely cathartic and hugely um, supportive for them feeling not alone in their experiences. And I think in terms of mental health, there's a, there's sometimes we feel very isolated and very alone in how we're feeling. We feel like we're the only ones. And if we think about young people, again, this is a, a stereotype perhaps, but they may be more... Um, engaged within social media where everything is very glossy and everyone's having the best time of their lives so when you're not having the best time of your lives and you're looking at social media you feel even more isolated but actually behind all those very filtered and pretty pictures everybody's probably going through the same difficulty so bringing young people together in groups I think is really really valuable.
0: So it's across the, across the age group, you can have young children and, and, and older people as well. What's the kind of typical things that people come to you with, you know, problems or issues
1: that they'd like you to, to explore with them? Anxiety is the biggest one, I'd say. Um, it, there's always the main anxiety. And then in the session, we, under, we uncover there are, sometimes there's a trauma that's happened um, and there hasn't been a recognition or an acceptance of that trauma. And so there's been this underlying anxiety that's continued to kind of mask everything else um i've had quite a few um private um young people who have um been diagnosed with an eating disorder and i think that has partly to do with finding it difficult to get um treatment under the nhs services so people are looking for private support um and then and another one is just a sense of feeling lost in identity i think people I often work with a lot of people who have got to a stage in their life where they, they really don't know who they are anymore. Um, and most, And most of the way that dance movement psychotherapy can help with that, like I said at the beginning, because we focus so much on rebuilding a relationship with the self through the body and the mind. A lot of the work can be hugely powerful for that demographic that just feel abandoned in themselves so bringing the movement and the body and the mind all together in one therapy session can be just very um there can be a real alchemy in the room
0: so it's for all age groups do you have to be good at dance to do it absolutely not
1: <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> not and i would say if you the more you if, if you feel if there's a part of you listening to this podcast and you think mm-hmm oh God, dance, no, I can't can't dance, oh don't, dance, no, no. no. I think the more you resist, my invitation to that person would be, the more I think you should come to a session because if you're denying that part of you, which is ultimately, let's just scrap the the whole, you know, dance in a theater, dance on Strictly Come Dancing.
0: Hmm. Ultimately,
1: dance is about self-expression. So if there's a part of you that's denying your own self-expression, my invitation to you would be why? What is so fearful about your self-expression that you are denying yourself a huge part of? So I would say, if you are that person listening and oh, not for me, not for me, I'd say come and have a session, come and meet me, or come and or find another other dance movement psychotherapist in your local area that's registered and experienced and have a session.
0: Hmm, that sounds really good. I
1: might have to take you up on that. <laughs> Does it work? Have you
0: ever had anybody that it hasn't worked for, or is it is it just an example that perhaps the dance wasn't the problem, but just that the therapy they didn't take take, take to.
1: Um, to be honest, I've never had an experience where um, it's difficult within therapy the idea of it working and not working because I'm I'm a, in the way that I train. I'm a strong believer that if, in terms of the therapy, if there is tension or there are barriers, that's part of the therapy work, that if someone is thinking, oh, this isn't working, to bring that to the session and to say to me, this feels really stuck, I'm not sure why this is, I don't feel any different, because that is almost always where the work needs to be done, this kind of resistance to change. Um, So I haven't had any direct experience of someone saying to me, this isn't working, but what I would say is that it's always client led. So I never push someone into movement or push someone into speaking about something. It's always led by that person. So I hope that has been the reason why I've never experienced anyone say to me, um, I'm finding this, uh, stressful or difficult or negative because it's always been led at their pace. And I think if as, as therapists, whatever modality you work in, if as long as the, you're leading at the client's pace, I think there's always positive change will always happen. Mm. You're absolutely
0: right there. because I can remember my own experience of having psychotherapy is that the, the, t- the times that I felt stuck or felt angry or felt like I wanted to give up, mm. those were the richest times actually. Yes. Those were the really juicy stuff because we were getting into some real nitty gritty yeah. things that yeah. I needed to explore. And often that resistance was because I didn't want to go there. You know, yeah. I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go to that difficult place. So I did. Yeah. So in a therapy session, um, Kimberly, do you actually dance with your client? or do you sit and watch
1: or what's the kind of dynamic yeah yeah mixture so um a typical session would start where we would have what i call a check-in so that would be most probably a verbal check-in with the client would come and would sit down either on chairs or on um cushions you know if they want to feel more grounded on the floor we might go straight onto the floor um and we would check in and see how the client had been between the session of last week um what happened that day? Is there anything in particular they wanted to bring to the session? And then, more often than not, that verbal check-in would then establish a theme for the for the rest of the session. And again, sometimes the session can be all verbal and we don't use any movement, but sometimes I might invite the client, or oh, should we move some of that? A good example would be if, this, if the client had brought a lot of tension or anger, we might use movement as a way of releasing some of that tension, or we might use movement as a way of expressing some of that anger. Anger is an amazing um, example in dance movement psychotherapy because I think, again, within our society there's a taboo about the safe ways of expressing anger and I think the therapy space especially the movement therapy space can be a really brilliant um holding space to engage and experience anger and not feeling overwhelmed by it Um, so like I said a theme might evolve and then we might explore that with movement I use a lot of music and a lot of props also Um, so again the props can support the body in expressing things I use a lot of stretch cloths and many times I have you know, grown adults wrapping themselves in these kind of cocoon-like experiences to experience the idea of being held or hidden. Um, and so so that's where the really creative element of movement, which equals dance, is really found in the session. So what other kind of props? I'm intrigued by the props you use. used. Oh, lots. Oh, gosh. Name something and I probably have it in my toolkit. Um, so lots of fabrics, lots of different balls, um, lots of... Um, small objects. Um, So my training um, is integrative. So a lot of uh, my work is based within the gestalt area. So a lot of um, objects can be a really powerful tool of projection identification. And that might, and if listeners who don't maybe understand that um, phrase, it's about Using an object that allows someone to take a bit of a separation from um, the experience or the emotion behind it So a, a stone for example could represent a feeling or it could represent a person and sometimes we might place those props in different areas of the room and one corner will represent the past and we'll move in the past. And then another corner of the room will um, represent the present and we'll move in the present. And then another corner of the room will be the future and we'll move in the future and different props will allow that person to have a a more in-depth connection to just the room. Um, So yeah, so it's, it's a real creative hub really. And the more like going back to what you said, the more playful um, a person can be, I would say the richer the process becomes.
0: Mm. Do do you invite people to bring in their
1: own props? Yeah, yeah, I do. And also inviting people to bring in music that has a memory association or a particular lyric that they um, feel attuned to or connected with. Um, So obviously music can also be a great holding space when either the, the, the body in the room can't move and also the mind in the room can't speak. So sometimes music can be both the the way to um not fill the space because it's not about filling the space but communicating something that may be mm. very distressing mm. and typically how long does the session last kimberly so my sessions last an hour um sometimes um depending on where a person's at within their process um i sometimes extend to an hour and a half i've had quite a few clients when we've got to a particular. Um, I wouldn't say difficult. It's, it's hard to use the right word sometimes. Yeah, no, no, when yeah. we say difficult, it it's not difficult. It's um an there's a weight, effect. there's a weight, yeah. yeah there's yeah, a, heavy, yeah. A, a larger weight to what's being brought. And so we do sometimes extend it because I think it's really important that towards an end of a session, there is a, a closure because when we use the body, there is potential that there is even more... Um, overwhelmed to be experienced and so it's really important that towards the end of the session there's a real process of grounding and allowing someone to come back to an experience of themselves that's manageable to leave the session room and get back in the car and drive to your home or your job or walk down the high street to pick up that chicken that you needed to buy or whatever it is that you then do sessions don't happen in isolation they happen in the middle of a day so it's really important that every client feels ready after doing a session to go back into the rest of their day so the grounding part of a session at the end is very very important
0: yeah it's nice to hear because when I was, did my psychotherapy, uh, you know, it was 50 minutes and it was 50 minutes on the dot and at the end of 50 minutes, you know, it was expected to finish and go. And I mean, I got used to that and that was fine. But it's, it's very intriguing to hear you saying that you allow those sessions to go on for slightly sort of longer. So I, I wonder why that is. I mean, I mean, you explained that because it's because you want to you've reached a, a rich, a rich place that you feel you want to explore sort of more. So something about building that real trust, isn't there, between you and the and the and your client? Yeah, so your client trusting you too.
1: I think it's the best way. I mean, if a session is longer, it's always known that it's longer between the client and the therapist. It's not a case of it's it's. I, I notice in say for example, if it was an hour session and things were evolving, I wouldn't extend it in that in that regard. If it was an extension session, the client would already know. But I think the best way of understanding it's a bit like if we know we're going to run a marathon we know that we need a cool down process. So if I, if the client knows that we're doing an hour and a half, I know structurally in a session, I've got to use that last 15 minutes to allow that person to cool down, to come back to a more regulated experience of their mind and body before, you know, I allow them to leave the room. And that's just in terms of my safe practice and ethical boundaries and making sure that my clients are safe after they leave a session with me. Yeah.
0: And off and typically, how long? Do they, not 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 length of the sessions, but how long do the sessions go on for? You know, is it sort of months or years or? Yeah, so that's long a is your longest client been
1: with you for. Oh, that's a really good question. How long is my longest client? Um <laughs> Let me think. I think my longest client has been with me now, still um approaching four years. Yeah. But then equally, I've had clients who've seen me for maybe three months. So it's really, it's so, I mean, that question is a bit like, how long is a piece of string? I think it it really is just dependent on the need um, and also the age of the person. um, And I think some people come to therapy knowing exactly what they want to work on. And it's a very structured, very focused piece of work, whether it be they've experienced a trauma, that they're still um, processing a bereavement, whether they notice that they're inclined to um, self-harm or, you know, whatever whatever the difficulty is. And then other people come to the session not really having a, a clear focus, but just knowing that there's something that doesn't feel... Um, connected or something that doesn't feel right within their experience the themselves and they want to work on that and those are sometimes the clients that the, the length of time can, can, can be unending because the focus of work is so different it's more about personal process in life as opposed to this particular um, difficulty or this particular experience that I want to learn how to manage or understand better or even recognize it. Feel,
0: you know when the, when the ending's coming yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and what's difficult is helping the client recognize that yeah
0: how do you know when it's going to stop what, what is, that? is it is it is it individual to each client is there just something a feeling that you get
1: gosh Catherine, these questions are so <laughs> big i don't even know how to answer this one if i'm honest i don't think there's an answer to that because i don't think This is going to sound so existential, so (laughs) I don't think we ever know the ending is coming or the ending is ready. I think it's just about trusting that Mm -hmm. if we end and it hasn't been the right time, that process will re-engage or restart. And if we end and it is the right time, that ending will feel, there will be like an exhale to it. There will be a, okay, that that felt difficult to finish maybe because like you said, saying goodbye to your therapist, especially if you've been working with that person for a long time, Mm -hmm. can be, it's like, saying goodbye to a really good friend but it's kind of like a false reality because you're not friends with that person it's it's a there's been a transaction between client and therapist um so I think endings in general are really hard but I think when the ending is right there is a there is a gut sense of um satisfaction or or um yeah, like I said, the, the word exhale springs to mind. There's a feeling like, oh, okay, that was hard to do, but I've exhaled and I feel like I can breathe still on my own. I don't need another person to help me breathe. I think as well, there's an idea that if you've had therapy, whatever modality you go through, that once you've had it, that's it. That I've had that now. I've done psychotherapy. But I think in general, in general we experience the need for support Within different chapters and different seasons of our lives, and I think, as well as the dance movement psychotherapist, I sometimes get a lot of people that that may um, be curious about working with me, but then they might say, "Oh, I've had this type of therapy, I've had CBT, or you know, whatever it is, and and it didn't really do anything." So I know therapy is not for me, and and I really get disheartened by that because I think. Actually, regardless of the modality, I really strongly believe that therapy is about the connection through the therapeutic relationship. And you might have a therapist that you don't maybe connect very well with. And so then you think, oh, therapy is not for me. I tried that and it didn't work. But actually, maybe it was just that particular therapist you didn't have a good match with and you didn't feel comfortable enough to um, explore some of those deeper issues. So anyone who's listening who thinks, oh, I've done therapy and it was, you know, Part of old faff, like it didn't help and I'm still struggling or whatever. I would say, I would really encourage that person explore a little bit, be creative about who you might want to work with because, I, you know, I kind of had this metaphor that in my head, therapy is a little bit like shoes. You know, there's so many different varieties of shoes. Just because if you try one pair and they didn't fit quite right or they're a little bit comfortable on the walk or they gave you blisters, doesn't mean shoes aren't for you. It just might mean that there's another type of shoe out there that's going to fit much better for you and give you that support that you really de- need and really deserve.
0: I always thought that therapy was actually about love. I think it's the mm-hmm. most perfect expression of love, actually. And a friend of mine was saying, why? And I said, because it's bounded mm-hmm. You know, you have, you know, when your time with your therapist starts and you know when the time ends and within that you have a wonderful opportunity to explore yourself to explore what love is all about Mm um and then it's a boundary session where you then have to you have to leave that you have to go and so it's teaching it's teaching how to trust and how to love somebody but in a very boundary way yeah
1: that makes sense no yeah absolutely and i think hearing you say that really makes me think about as you've heard me say a lot on this podcast, I, I talk about um, supporting a majority of my clients fundamentally building a relationship with themselves. And ultimately that's building their relationship, building themselves back in love with themselves. You know, the idea of self-love is also such a taboo in our society. Like the idea to love myself, like that's just something for narcissists. Well, no, like that's a, that's a core foundation of supporting ourselves to heal and more than that, it's just supporting ourselves to live in a very full hearted way. So, do you love your clients,
0: Kimberly?
1: I think there definitely is an element of love in the room, Um, and I and I would say that on a personal note, it isn't always easy to step away from a client. There's, you know, in terms of hearing you say about boundaries, sometimes it can be very difficult um, to to finish a session on a day and then not carry that person in my mind on my drive back to home or do my washing up and not be thinking about the story that client S had been talking to me about or knowing that this person has got a a particular life event coming up and I know the date of it and I'm vested on the day of that date and my mind can go to that person. So there's a real invisible thread between therapist and client and I think as long as a the therapist is aware of that, I think that's a safe place. But I think the moment we start uh, saying things like, um, oh, you know, I just do the session. I get out. I do it. I come back in. Da, da, da It's all done. I don't think about my clients at all. I think there's a great sense of denial there because I, I think we all are very deeply connected because we're all very deeply human. And to not be connected to our clients, I think we would be denying something that's very human, you know, Mm. we can't sit opposite another human being in distress and not feel that huge overwhelming sense of compassion, empathy, and love.
0: Do you have somebody that you go to talk to? Do
1: you have a a supervisor? Oh, yes. Um, Very good relationship with my um, supervisor. So I see a senior dance movement psychotherapist, um, and she's amazing. I've I've literally had her since I finalised my um, training, so she's been completely with me throughout my whole journey. So seeing me as my evolving, you know, new therapist kind of anxiety um, to to now, obviously seven years later, um, and yeah, and I gen- genuinely could not do my job without her because she is is my mirror she is my sounding board she is my holder she is my confidant she is my teacher she is my inspirer like i think i think all therapists um obviously we as to keep our registration and our insurance we need supervisors but okay. i think i'm i feel very blessed that my supervisor I just have a great relationship and I know that I can count on this person if ever a crisis for me comes up in terms of my client relationships or, um, just someone who just understands the, um, the weight of what we do on a day-to-day basis. I've got one last question for you.
0: Uh, and I'm asking it to everybody that's, uh, that's doing the podcast. And it's what one piece of advice
1: has someone given you that you would like to pass on? <laughs> Ah, so I was thinking about this, and I think the piece of advice that has really stuck with me, it was interesting, because when I first heard that question, when, when I saw it in the email, knowing that I'd be asked it, and nothing really struck, struck me, nothing really popped to mind very quickly. And as I kind of reflected on it, my parents have always said to me, do what makes you happy, whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you do, Just do, just just do what makes you happy. And I think now more than ever, that piece of advice is something that I don't want to dismiss because I think sometimes we get so caught up in this kind of do it all, um, be a product, productivity, how productive have you been today, that these tangible things result in happiness, I think can be a very um, dangerous place to be in our world. And I think, again, the pandemic has allowed this kind of subtle slowing down to go, actually, it's just simple things that make me happy. So my piece of advice is, find happiness in whatever you're doing, and try to find happiness in yourself, with just you. Because I think, I think that's really needed at the moment, that sense of joy in the small things. And that has been something that's been encouraged by my parents and they are the root of my existence. So I owe a lot to them. Lovely,
0: A lovely uh, thing to end on. It's so so lovely to speak to you. How do people get hold of you if they're interested in, in exploring, working with you?
1: So I think the best place to find me would be my website, which is www.movingthroughlife.co.uk. I am also on social media and um, my account is at Kimberly RDMP. RDMP just stands for Registered Dance Movement Psychotherapist. Um, but I also hope to be back at the Isbourne um, in the new year offering some face-to-face sessions. So um, I'm also contactable through the Isborn. Um, so yeah, I think those are the main, the main places. Oh, and also just to clarify because my surname is a little bit confusing. So my married name as a feminist I've double barreled. So my married name is Penna Medhurst. So people might Google Kimberly Penner and Medhurst and that's my married name, but my professional name is actually Kimberly Penner. And that's if you want to find anything to do with me and dance during psychotherapy or any of the publications that I've written, podcasts, blah blah blah, then that so Google Kimberly Penner and then you'll you'll find me.
0: <laughs> that's lovely Kimberly. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you.